is brought to you by Noble Knight, where Out of Print is available again, and listeners like you, thanks for using the Tome's Amazon and D&D Classics affiliate links. Hey, it's Eric Mona from Paizo Publishing, and you're in tune to the Tome. Welcome to the Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interview show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And I'm Tracy Hurley. In this episode, number 217, we're headed to the internet as we talk about the web series, Standard Action, and chat with the creator, producer, and co-star of the whole thing, Joanna Gaskell, and also Rob Hunt. But before we get to that, it's time for us to talk about Standard Action. You know the recent big news about how Warner Brothers thinks they're going to make the next big D&D movie? Well, Standard Action has, has already made a better D&D movie than all of the attempts that have come before. It's a web series based on uh, a, it's definitely based on a fantasy RPG. It definitely feels like some form or derivative of D and D. You know, they're throwing around things like beholders and magic missiles, the kinds of things you you don't typically find together unless it's D and D. They're telling tales of a band of adventurers and how they came together to save the day from an army of monsters. So let's talk about the the show. What do you think about uh, standard action, Tracy? I like it. Um, I actually had heard about it earlier. When I did an article on web series uh, for the D&D website, a bunch of people recommended Standard Action there, too. Right on. So, so let's, let's break it down a little bit. Um, what, what specific things do you like about it? What do you think could be better? Or, or is everything sort of great? Or how do you, how do you, how do you analyze this thing? I know, it's kind of a difficult thing to analyze. Pretty good because the story kind of changes over the two seasons, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, I, I think their abilities also have changed over the two seasons. Right. You know? I, th- I, felt, I felt like the first season, which had many more episodes, actually moved slower. Um, it it did, know, yeah. There, and there were, there were moments where a scene felt like it was several, you know, uh, whether it be seconds or, you know, tens of seconds or a minute or whatever, longer than it needed to be. Or some scenes that maybe didn't need to be there, but they thought it was a fun thing to put in. Or, or whatever, and then I, th- I feel like by second season, um, they've just tightened things up even more, and as they go through, it feels like they can just keep tightening and tightening and, and making it stronger and stronger. Right. Um, I definitely agree there. And I think, so, not, not to touch that, but one of the things I like about it is that there are a lot of, uh, you're, you're two types of audience a lot of times. Um, they make jokes that are very specific for gamers, although... There's still plenty of stuff there that I think non-gamers could still enjoy it. But if you're listening to the Tome Show, I think um, you'll, yeah. get, you'll get all the inside jokes. But it might be one of those cool things that you could watch uh, with somebody who maybe isn't a gamer and, and they can start to understand a little bit. Because it, it plays a lot a lot like my D&D games. Mm-hmm. And, so the, and the interactions a lot of times definitely definitely feel like the interactions between PCs and, and um, as as Joanna I think pointed out in our in the interview that, that everybody will hear in a, in a little bit um, there's there's even you know uh, modern day sort of verbiage and, and descriptions and things that get used for things or references to boy bands or whatever that that don't make any sense in the game world but only make sense if these are player characters you know right and they, they even get a little meta with it there, there was a moment where um, they were discussing how, well, do you think there's some sort of um, higher intelligence guiding all of our actions and determining everything we do, like some cosmic roll of the dice? You know, and so they, they pull off little references and things like that on a regular basis. Yeah, I think one of them was talking to you one time about uh, taking a level in a different class. Oh, yeah, there was a whole, whole storyline. Um, was that in the normal or was that sort of the episode zero or something like that? 
where where the uh, the bard actually goes off to train to become a rogue and and you know practice practicing all these tests and whatever and finds out that he's just really bad at all the things that rogues should be doing and of course all the things that rogues should be doing are based off of you know D and D, right? Well, and that was that was uh, sort of related to that is I liked um, I liked how it wasn't your average adventuring party. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Joanna talks a little bit about why that is in the interview. Uh, and it has to do with the release of 4th edition. Um, <laughs> yeah, I thought that was a great story. I, I hadn't picked up on that. Yeah, so I, I, and I think it's cool because, well, one, those classes tend not to have the same wardrobe requirements as, say, a knight or, like, a, a fighter with a big shield and a mm-hmm. plate mail and all that stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and, and, and they also have made, you know, uh, choices for the races of the characters, right, Where, that um, I think are more budget-friendly. Right. Know? It's a lot easier to throw, throw some ears on somebody and, and spruce up their wardrobe and call them an elf. It's a little harder to make somebody a half-orc or a, even a dwarf. Um, <laughs> you know, one of the, the funnier characters in the whole thing, uh, Fernando, um, who is their bard, is a half-halfling. You know, which I imagine came about because, well, he's kind of a short guy, and so we'll just call him a half halfling. You know, and that's right. as, that's as close as we can get to a ha- actual halfling. Yeah, he's a little too tall, but you know, if he's only half halfling, right? <laughs> yeah, I like that too. Right on. So, uh, and I I thought ahead. they picked some really good spots uh, in the like a lot of the forest scenes and stuff too. For the sets. Oh yeah, yeah, they're up in uh, in British Columbia, right? So yeah. um, that's you know that's where all the even the Hollywood movies go when they need uh, you know pristine wilderness and that kind of stuff. Um, and it's and, and part of me even wondered before doing the interview, I wondered if they were sort of in that area because it seemed like a, a common place to go, and um, their accents do betray them as Canadian on occasion um, right. in in the show. Um, so I wondered if they weren't up in that area, and turns out turns out they are. And it was interesting, too, because they talked about as time went on, they got some better equipment for, like, audio. And they also discussed that the tavern scene was in this wine cellar with poor audio. And I felt bad because one of the things I did notice when I was listening to it is, like, I felt like there's a little bit of a a hum or a higher pitch noise Hmm. when they're in the tavern. Yeah, I didn't notice the the, a huge change in... the sound or in the video quality, but I do notice a change in the production quality over time. The effects have gotten better. The the makeup, you know, in, in season one, uh, Etta, the barbarian um, uh, elf, um, who's sort of our first exposure to to an elf, you know, in their world, um, she's got the elf ears on, but she's always got her hair sort of draped in front of them, so you can't see the seam between the real ear and the and the elf ear, the prosthetic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I noticed in season two. Um, when they they picked up uh, a makeup artist, um, they stopped doing that. You know, every now and then the hair is covering the ears, but mo- a lot of the time it's not. You know, and so they're showing the ears because you know the quality of things have gotten better, the effects have gotten better, the the intro uh, animation and the the um, the uh, credits at the end, all that stuff has has gotten become you know more refined and feels a lot more professional over time too. Right. And even from the beginning, I was shocked at how good you know the the makeup was and and the the effects were for for a little indie project that these guys were doing basically for fun. Right. You can tell they have some experience in film that you know this is not the kind of thing that you know somebody who's uh, just trying to get started and, and trying out film is probably going to be be able to pull off the kind of stuff they're doing. Right. And I, and I thought too they had some really quirky characters because I know we talked about Edda the elf barbarian. Uh, they also have the druid who likes to set everything on fire. Yeah, and and hates the forest. <laughs> hates the forest. He has the, hay fever. The druid who hates the forest. <laughs> and and uh, talking about that uh, breaking the fourth wall. I know when early on when they're talking about the druid, uh, he's kind of getting he's getting fired. Um, and he's kind of getting his exit interview. Like these are the things you did wrong. And one of them was like you didn't pick your healing spells first. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a healer. <laughs> a healer, <laughs> which, which actually becomes a, a a thing come second season because there's you know this very touching. I think it's second season where there's this very touching moment, and he or maybe it was the end of first. But in any case, he uses his healing spells to heal several party members, and they're like, oh, "You did healing for me," because <laughs> <laughs> he's not a healer, right? Um, and, and although Edda's character is one that I think has a lot of interesting depth to her as well, and it's not just sort of. 
um, the quirkiness, but she's an actually you know legitimately interesting character in, in as much as she comes off as like the innocent, right? She's right. always she always just comes off like she's just so happy to be there. She's just so happy to be around you and to hang out and and, and to be involved, right? Uh, and so she comes off as really innocent. And then there's there's a moment in the uh, I think it's in the in the sh- the hunter shack, right? Where somebody's you know. Uh, uh, Martin, the druid, you know, who's all emo and, and as he is, uh, is you know t- coming down on you. Hey, you back off! You don't know what you're talking about. Blah blah blah, that kind of stuff. He's like, and, and she basically pulls off a, a son. I am 400 years old. I've right. done this and this and this, and you got no idea. And suddenly, Etta has this huge backstory. And it's like, oh my gosh, like like there's so much to Etta that we never even knew because we just saw her as this happy-go-lucky, innocent character, you know? Right. Who lets her anger get away, and she just. Destroys the outhouse. <laughs> yes, <laughs> amongst other things. Amongst other things. Although the m- most entertaining barbarian moments are when the, when she's done raging and she falls into a barbarian fatigue and just sort of collapses on the ground. Right. <laughs> that happens a few times. Uh, and then Fernando has the awesome instrument on demand, but it's yeah. never. It's like rarely ever the same instrument. I thought for <laughs> season one it was a ukulele through most of it, right? I thought there was one part where it was like a recorder. He, well, yes, there there has been a moment or two where he also played the recorder, but but I thought his his summoned instrument was always a ukulele. Okay, I, I, yeah. Until season two. Okay. In season two, he gets he he gains a level, and now he can summon an electric guitar. Nice. And then rocks out uh, a good you know a big a big riff at one point in in a, in a combat. And in season two, the. Some of the locations change because now we're in the real world. Well, we're kind of in the real world, right? Right. Um, there's there's this whole um, planner thing that happens, right? Somebody tries to to shut to destroy an artifact and it sucks them all into different planes. Uh, and one of the planes is uh, is limbo, and it happens to be you know a gray sort of office building, and they have to figure out how to get out of the office building. And there's sort of mirror duplicate versions of all of the characters there, right? Doing their thing. Which is actually really entertaining. It has it, they they totally went all out and they didn't shy away from it all. But they they at moments they completely parodied uh, the movie Office Space in that in that um, in those episodes. I mean, there was even to the point where um, Edda's character in the real world, the real world Edda, right? I think it was her. Um, you know, takes the old junky computer that's been driving her nuts out to the parking lot and smashes it with a with a golf club, right? Just like just like Office Space. It was pretty pretty sweet. Yeah. But I also don't want to give people the impression that it's all sort of breaking the fourth wall. Because there's also I, – I feel like most of the time they're actually very much in character. Oh, yeah, they are. It's just sort of these moments, these little vignettes of breaking the fourth wall that actually makes them all the better. Because, you know, they play it so straight and then all of a sudden they're talking about, you know, boy bands. Right. And that's the thing is like they don't break character when they're talking about those things. So it's you can just accept it as part of their world. Right. All right, good. Well, I, I would definitely recommend people check it out. Um, I, I didn't wouldn't necessarily rec- recommend watching it all in one sitting. Um, that's yeah. practically what I did, and, and it did start to, to drag a few, uh, you know, a little bit doing it that way. Um, but it's definitely worth watching, and I think def- people should definitely check it out. And when it com- and when season three comes out, I will be watching the episodes as they come out. Yeah, me too. All right. So we're about to head over to the interview, but we. Sh- Figured we should remind you to check out our sponsor, Noble Knight, uh, has been a longtime supporter of the show. And if you like what we do around here, it would be awesome if you make your next online purchase of a game product from them and drop them a line telling them that uh, you heard about them through us. Our pick for this episode is the Gale Force 9 Barbarian Token Set. Uh, if you want to recreate the adventures from standard action and take on the role of our guest character, Etta, the Elven Barbarian, the Gale Force 9 Barbarian Token Set is uh, full of tokens just for that class, and it'll re- help remind you of all the awesome things you get to do uh, when you're playing a barbarian. It's particularly useful when you have the barbarian rage uh, after effects. You bet. Uh, and it only runs for about $10, and you can find the links in the show notes at thetomeshow.com. Noble Knight is a long-standing game store specializing in finding out-of-print games while also offering the newest great releases. Including D&D? They got it from any edition. That's right, all of them. 
What if I want a board game? Card game, minis, or dice? Noble Knight has it all, and at a discounted price. In fact, Noble Knight has over 30,000 unique items on stock. And you know you can trust this Better Business Bureau accredited store with a satisfaction guarantee. Yeah, but I've bought too many things over the years. How can I justify spending even more? Good thing we're talking about Noble Knight, then. They'll buy your old gaming things and offer you cash or trade, so you'll be able to keep up with all the great gaming stuff you want. Check them out at noblenight.com. Wow, I'll go today. And be sure to tell them the Tome Show sent you. And we have returned, and it is time to talk to Joanna Gaskell. I said it right first, or didn't I? I forgot to ask you first. No, you said it right. That, okay. That's, that's oh. <laughs> Joanna Gaskell, uh, and we're going to talk to you about standard action. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, let's start off with a hard question. What is standard action? Standard action is uh, the fantasy comedy web series for geeks of all kinds. That's what we call it. Uh, it's got two seasons up online right now for free. It's funny stuff. Uh, we, we try to make it pretty open. You don't have to be a gamer to get it. But if you are a gamer, you'll probably find some Easter eggs in there that everyone else misses. Uh, it's the story of four adventurers who are kind of misfits, kind of bumbling, a little bit inadequate, and they find each other. They go questing, and they very quickly find themselves in over their heads. Sounds about right. And they bump, they bumble in about about the way that you know first level adventurers probably should. Yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. If you've ever played a D and D game or uh, uh, even even like uh, an MMO, when you're low level and you're sort of wandering around and and having to deal with the uh, with the kind of stuff that low level adventurers have to deal with, uh, it it can be pretty comedic. Yeah, I, I remember there was one line. It's like they're gonna send some guy out. He's like, but I know he's he's above my level. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. We tend to try to sort of um, we, we're kind of tongue in cheek humor. So every once in a while, we'll sort of break the fourth wall a bit so that uh, we're we're sort of we admit that we're in a game here. We're not in a in a classic fantasy world. We're certainly sort of game avatars wandering around in a gaming style world rather than adventurers in a medieval fantasy world. So we can do things like talk about levels every once in a while or talk about intelligence scores or um, use anachronisms like talking about uh, boy bands and jazz and <laughs> tanks. <laughs> and, and, and Martin's shoes. And Martin's shoes, yes. <laughs> I, I, I scoured the comments after uh, the first time I noticed it. I was probably what, five or six episodes in. I'm like, wait a minute. Did he just bring the wrong shoes that day when they were filming? And you know, what's, <laughs> what's going on? And then I realized, no, it, it kept happening. And so I started scouring the comments to see if you had addressed that issue at all. Um, and you gave a very similar answer. Yeah, um, the the shoes started coming up over and over again because I think it's about an episode five or six. You get a real sort of gratuitous shot of of Martin's shoes, mm-hmm. and then everybody was like, "Hey, shoes! What's going on there? Did you not have the budget?" And like, no, no, that was uh, that was done on purpose. <laughs> it, it, it's it's a it's a subtle sort of thing that's never like directly addressed. So, um, yeah. you know, I think people could easily think that it was just a mistake or whatever. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, that was that was definitely a choice. Uh, way back in first season, um, Edwin Perez, who plays Fernando, was actually our costume designer for first season, uh, or he did most of the costumes for first season. And he and I came up with that idea when we first came up with the idea of Martin, actually, because Martin is supposed to be sort of an emo hipster, uh, and that really says emo hipster to me. Hmm. Um, Rob has just walked in. I have. Hello, Rob. Hello. Hello, internet. <laughs> Welcome to the Tome Show. Thank you. How is, Je- is it Jeff? Yes. And Tracy. Jeff yeah. and Tracy, nice to meet Hi. you digitally. Yes. So uh, why did you guys decide to make Standard Action? Well, uh, Rob and I had made a couple of feature films uh, before Standard Action. Actually, they were really Rob's projects. Uh, he produced them and wrote them and directed them, and, and I was involved in the making of them. And uh, after we finished the second one, uh, he basically was was pretty tired of producing, and he said, I don't, you know, I don't know about doing this anymore. Why don't you produce something when we were next thinking about doing our next project and um so i had i had these scripts sort of written um but i didn't really ever expect to be able to film them i'd I'd sort of written the first couple uh, episode one and episode two but they were really only character studies they weren't 
we never thought we'd be able to film them because they were fantasy. So that meant that we had to deal with things like costumes and props and weapons and locations. And that sounded like a really big job. And we didn't know we could do that. But we met Edwin, um, Edwin Perez, on one of those film shoots for the the feature films we did previously. And he uh, turned out to be a D&D player. Uh, and we, he sort of came out to us on set one day as a D&D player. <laughs> and I, I gave him my scripts to read, and he was really excited about them. At that point, there wasn't even the, the Fernando character written. So I wrote the Fernando character for him. And then we just basically decided to to give this a shot, to sort of go out into the woods one day and film as much as we could on a single day. And so uh, I wrote the script for episode zero, which if you go back into season one, you can see it as episode 6.5 because it fits into the season after the season's done as episode 6.5. But that was the first one we ever did. So we went out and we sort of tried to do that and, uh, and realized that maybe we had something and maybe we could actually get a fan base and we could turn this around really quickly since we were focusing on web rather than trying to do a movie. We could put it up online really fast. We could show it off. We could, we could show people what we could do really, really quickly for a feature film. You're looking at like, you know, months and months and months of turnaround, but for a web series, uh, you can get an episode, you know, turned around and up online really fast. So we were able to really quickly show everybody what we were doing. And then we got a lot of attention, um, from all sorts of other interesting people who we, uh, who we wanted to work with. Thanks. Hold on. Uh, so, uh, just to, to let our audience know, we have a D&D podcast, uh, and I think you've hit, you've hit this pretty well, but but why should our audience a D, uh, a, for a D&D podcast be interested in checking out Standard Action? Well, the, the origins of Standard Actions, the origins of the writing, are, are very much, very much based in, in D&D. I mean, I played 3.5 uh, for a very long time, and the characters are most certainly based on the kind of first-level adventures that you would play in in D anD D, and actually, the characters were inspired by um, by when Wizards of the Coast released Fourth Edition, uh, because they released Fourth Edition and they didn't have uh, the barbarian, the bard, the sorcerer, or the druid in the first core oh. book. <laughs> and I was disappointed, but I used it as as inspiration to write these characters that were left out of the party. So oh. it's. Yeah, it's very much like these are the people who are left behind. They're kind of inadequate. They're, you know, not particularly good at what they do. And so they're, you know, drawn directly out of the, out of the game. And if you are a D&D player, you are going to get a lot of the uh, the little extra jokes that we plant in the series. Uh, we try to make it, like I say, accessible to everybody. But if you are a D&D player, you will definitely chuckle at some of the stuff that comes up because it's something, it's stuff that comes up in your game. Like it's stuff that humor that comes up from around the table. Uh, like in our, our first episode of season two, um, a merchant asks Fernando like how he could possibly fit this 10 foot long, long spear into his backpack. <laughs> That's just something that, you know, adventurers have to deal with all the time. <laughs> how did you put that 10 foot pole? Where did you, where did you carry that? Like, where did that come from? <laughs> yeah. Wait. So there's a lot of jokes in there for gamers for sure. That's awesome, because I was wondering, because it was kind of a traditional, non-traditional party, and I was wondering how that like, came together. So that's a really interesting way for it to come together. Yeah, for sure. And of course, since we ended up with a with a very non-traditional party, so no real tank, because let's be honest, an elven barbarian is not a tank, and no real healer, because let's be honest, a druid really isn't a healer, we could end up with a lot more extra comedy in there that came out of that. Because, yeah, I mean, that's a gimped party. If you were playing around the table in D&D, it's like, wow, this is going to be a challenge. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, I'm curious, sort of, what the your process is like, because you take on a lot of roles, right? You're an actor in it. Um, you also produce and write um, the the series. So, so what's the process like? Um, you know, from conception to to edit, editing, you know, or release. Oh well, Rob's here now, so I'm going to let him take a little bit of this. But um, well, I suppose I mean writing for 
writing for first season was very different from writing for second season. Um, first season was written very dynamically. So maybe four episodes were written when we started filming the series. And then I wrote more as we filmed more because I was inspired by sort of what the actors were giving me and that kind of thing. Uh, second season was written all ahead of time and then edited and edited and edited and rewritten and rewritten so many different times before it actually hit the, the screens. Um, so basically everything's in flux in pre-production really. We do the best we can to sort of get the locations that we need and get the props that we need and the costumes and stuff. But if something isn't working a week before or a couple days before or the day of, we tend to we tend to be pretty flexible about changing it. Um, we've found that you have to be really like that in independent film. Like you don't have the budget to nail anything down for sure. So you have to be willing to toss anything out uh, and change it. And then, I mean, on the day, Rob, you want to talk a little bit on the day? I mean, you're basically prepping a couple days before with gear and stuff, right? Yeah. Um, I'm in charge of all of the gear pretty much. So like the cameras, um, I bring a sound kit, uh, on second season, our sound guy actually brought his own as well, but I always brought a backup just in case. Um, but usually my, my job for making all the gear and the shoot day run would start a couple days before with me charging a bunch of batteries. I, uh, I worked for a videographer a few years ago and he was like, dude, you got to get rechargeable double A's for everything. You'll, you'll, you'll never regret it. And I follow that advice and, and it's a little bit of work, but like, man, I saw how many batteries we used to throw out. Our set is pretty and, much run on rechargeable double A's. Yeah, rechargeable double A's <laughs> for all of the LED lights and the sound kit. And then the cameras just used uh, cheap, no-name brand camera batteries that I get from a, a random website. But anyways, I charge batteries for days. And then on the shoot days, I roll out directly to the shoot location, and I set up some giant umbrellas, and I set up all the cameras. The cameras are ours, or mine mostly, uh, and so uh, some days we have two camera people, and I can focus a little more on directing or running the set, and then some days we only had one camera person, so I would be doing camera. Um, and then meanwhile, while that was happening, we'd usually, usually Tara and I, Tara plays Wendy, uh, I would pick her up at her place and we'd head to the makeup artist place and we'd be in the chair getting the ears on and the blue hair extensions and the makeup and all that uh, at about six in the morning. And then when we were done in uh, costume and wardrobe, we'd head over to set and meet up with, uh, with Rob and his crew. Yeah. We usually shop for what? 10 hours? 10 to 12 hours, 10 yeah. 10 to 12 hours. We didn't, we didn't go crazy. Usually we were limited by daylight, but also laziness. <laughs> no, I don't think you consider us lazy. <laughs> we don't pay people well, so we can't expect them to pull an 18 hours. Yeah, that's true. When, we never wanted to be that kind of a set. When you're in makeup at 6 a.m. and then film for 10 hours, I don't think you can call anybody lazy. <laughs> yeah, for sure. No, they were certainly big days, but independent film sets, I mean, sometimes you can go on independent film set and it can be like an 18 hour day. And that's not odd. And they, some people think that's awesome for some crazy yeah, reason. Yeah, we didn't want to be like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, afterwards, I mean, we get the, uh, the the footage off the cameras and I did a lot of the layout editing for, um, for season two and for a lot of season one as well, so to the second half. So that's just basically getting the putting the, the, the clips that we want in the right order and all that and kind of choosing stuff. choosing takes. Choosing takes. And then it uh, goes over to Rob for... Yeah, and then usually I load it up and after. I, I do some final editing for the layout just to clean it up and tighten things up. Um, and then we pop it into After Effects and do a bunch of mastering in there and throw in the visual effects. That's all me, mostly. In second season, we got uh, Nicholas Montgomery to help with the visual effects. And uh, that was awesome, and he's awesome, and I definitely see an improvement in the second season. Some of the some of the particle effects are cool, but yeah, and then that's pretty much our process. So it's okay. it's mostly me and Joanna. We yeah, mostly. <laughs> yeah. Although you do have a large number of people involved, whether it be the actors or the um, you know the the non speaking roles and and the makeup people and the you know all the two cameramen and, and whoever else, right? Um, where do you, where do you find all the people when you need somebody to to work on that? Well, we have a pretty a pretty nice core, like a core set of people who sort of mostly come out all the time. And we've got sort of our art director and the couple camera people that we usually use and sound is uh, pretty much the same guy every time. Uh, when we start to need extras, um, we've we've basically just sort of drawn from from people in the community that we know or. Or actually, a lot of times for something like makeup, I'll leave it up to Ashley. I mean, Ashley's the key makeup artist. So 
if we need an extra makeup artist for the day, then I'll go to her and I'll say, okay, find me a makeup artist that you trust and can do a good job. And she will bring me their name and, and tell me about them and we'll bring them on. And it's a lot of the time it has to do with trust. I mean, the fact that I trust her so much means that I know that she'll bring somebody on board who will work. Uh, who will well. Are you largely leaning on the local film community or the local cosplay community or gaming community or, or you know, where does that all come from? Um, actually, uh, it's sort of just some, uh, uh, the more like the filmmaking community, the indie filmmaking community okay. in Vancouver. Um, the big, we, we got our start really is we met a bunch of people when I did my first feature, uh, I put, or my second feature, I put out a Craigslist ad in the gig section, which is unpaid. And so I just put like a, I helped Joanna, I got Joanna to help me write up a big, you know, one page thing about this project I wanted to work on. And I was really honest about not having any money, but I would be willing to put money towards, you know, feeding and we'd put it, you know, and so yeah, I got a, a few people that way. And then um, they, uh, like, we got a lot of people that way, about like maybe 12 people. And then from that, about three or four of those people came on and were, were sort of the core team of Standard Action. We, uh, for my second feature film, The Director's Project, we met, what was it? We met Ashley. And Carla. And Carla. And Edwin. And course. Edwin Fernando, the, the bard. That's where we met. We met him while shooting that. Um, Nowadays, we actually use like Facebook because we have so many filmmaking indie friends who just do filmmaking for fun that like we can usually just do a shout out amongst a couple key friends and somebody will respond. Or at this point, I mean, like I've worked on several other projects and Rob's worked with several other groups of people. And when you go and you work with another group, oftentimes you'll find the people in that group who you really connect with and who you think do a good job. I mean, that's basically how we found Kirsten as we were out on set with Alan's shoot, right? Another yeah. friend of ours yeah. who does another web series. And Kirsten was on set with them, and he was great. And he did a really good job. And so we brought him on board for Standard Action's second season. I see a lot of people out with smartphones on indie sets, like, you know, getting on each other's friends list or getting each other emails just because, you know, it's like there's, there is quite a community of people who are like, yeah, let's do stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, getting on getting on other sets is a great, great way to do that, as well as great at meeting other actors, too. I mean, I know a lot of actors in this town now, so a lot of times, unfortunately, for those people out there that I don't know, we don't have to hold too many auditions anymore because there's a lot of people that I want to work with so badly that I'll bring them on. Um, but that's, it's just... You know, it's just the community. It's just making the connections and networking. And, and it happens pretty quickly and pretty easily. Nice. Very cool. And um, as you guys were talking about it, it seemed like to do this, you were using a lot of your own equipment or other things you had already. So we were kind of wondering, where's the crowdfunded money going towards? Uh, what are you going to do with that? For sure. Um, well, actually a huge amount of, of the money that we tend to raise, uh, that we raise for second season and that we're raising for third season goes to labor. Uh, so we do pay everybody who comes on set, uh, with us. We don't pay them very much, but we do make sure that everybody gets to walk away with an honorarium. Uh, it's been very important to us, uh, over the entire life of standard action to be able to pay everybody something. Except ourselves. Except ourselves. (laughs) We tend to not get paid. And actually for season three, we would love to be able to give ourselves that same honorarium that would be nice i would be stoked though (laughs) if i just didn't have to spend money on it yeah for sure (laughs) um also you know things like locations uh permitting insurance uh costuming food food is actually a surprisable chunk like if like it's one of the reasons we really try to keep our cast and crews to like you know 10 people or less because like feeding those people and having enough food so that they can eat a lot and be happy that's a lot of food. That's like yeah. two or three hundred dollars of food. Yeah, it's quite a bit. Um, yeah, a for day. sure. That's 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 definitely a big one, and it's a really important one because if you don't feed your people, they get really grumpy. And I've been on <laughs> sets where people don't feed me yeah. well, and it's just miserable. It's just like pizzas, you just don't want to do it. that. Yeah, I might have been guilty of that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean makeup, prosthetics. We have monsters and that kind of thing, so those prosthetics need to be paid for as well. I do get a small budget for gear. Um, yeah, we so try to like, upgrade for second season. We got a new lens that was like $600 and it had image stabilization in it. And we use that for a lot of like our shoulder rig. And I, I was really happy with it. Cause like when I'm editing and the color correction, the colors are already richer and it's already right. nicer to look at. So yeah, we yeah. try to look for a couple pieces of gear each time we, uh, each time we start a new season, uh, that will, that will significantly change the look or upgrade the look of what we do just because there are so many cool things out there. And a lot of them are being developed 
you know, right now. Um, and so we end up with, uh, with just something a little extra. Like at one point when we got like the glide cam, we got once the jib that we got at the beginning of first season really changed the look as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. Yeah. Cause uh, I know one thing I've noticed cause YouTube just recently did that paid channel thing. And a lot of people were, some of the people I saw who aren't creators were complaining about it. And I know that a lot of time and money goes into these things. So I was a little surprised. So I wanted people to understand how much goes into this. Oh yeah. It's, it's quite amazing actually how quickly the money sort of slips away. I guess I think somebody was asking me um, on Reddit today, actually how much it actually costs to do first season um, and I, d- I was really bad at budgeting first season because first season was just casual. It was just like we were doing it for fun and it lasted for quite a while. And it was all out of my own pocket pretty much. And, you know, people volunteering their time in, in post-production and in pre-production. Uh, I paid people on set, but there was always hours that are spent unpaid. Um, and I think it ended up being something like twenty to $25,000 for first season, which is a lot more than people expect. Mm-hmm. Mm. Absolutely. Now, since we're talking budgets and what have you, every now and then, as I, as I was as I've been watching the first two seasons, um, I you know there's a moment where it's like, oh, there's going to be an army of hobgoblins. How are they going to pull that off? Or oh, there's a a pack of of halflings. That's going to be interesting. How are they going to do that? You know, and, and uh, second season it was it was kobolds. I'm like, oh, I'm surprised they picked kobolds when it could have been orcs and you could have had green people, you know, or whatever. Uh, do you ever find yourself writing a story? that you then have to figure out, well, how are we going to do this on the budget we have? No, never, <laughs> never. And, and it's one of those things that Rob has taught me. I yell. <laughs> ne- always, always, always write to your budget. Do not change your budget to, to your writing, which a lot of writers argue with because really a lot of writers are like, no, this is the story I want to tell. you got to figure out how to tell it. Well, we don't work that way. We work with the, this is what we have. This is what we can do. Let's write something that works with that. And it's always been good for us. I mean, I read scripts sometimes for web series that blow me away with the casual nature at which they spend money. I mean, if you write a scene that has, you know, a cafe in it with a huge amount of people in the cafe and a truck driving by, okay, well, all of a sudden your budget is huge. I mean, and five people having a conversation. Do you know how long that will take to shoot? Absolutely. Like like one thing that we worked on in sec- first season that was really enjoyable because we work so closely and me and Joanna do most of the major roles of production is, you know, we had a lot of discussions like, man, I love – two-person duologues because they're so easy to shoot you know we can set it up and it it, like to shoot two people talking for one minute only takes about uh an hour and a half but to shoot them talking for five minutes only takes two and a half hours and you, you know that's like a lot of content in a very short amount of time. Whereas if all of a sudden you introduce four or five people in the scene, it's yeah, like, even Whoa. a couple lines can take like an hour and a half to shoot. And then you have issues like we can't control the weather or the forest. We have people walking through where we're shooting. Yeah. We have paintballers attacking each other near us. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I recall outtakes with dirt bikes and, and it, se- <laughs> yeah. it seemed that first season rained through most of the thing. Yeah. Oh, first, yeah. Second season rained a lot too, but we had big umbrellas. Yeah, and we were we were nicer to ourselves in second season. We shot um, shorter days. May to to September <laughs> rather when, than first season, which was all year long. Yeah, Edwin was like, "I don't want to shoot in the winter anymore." <laughs> and unfortunately, Canada, that's six months of the year. Right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it rained a lot in first season. Holy cow! That rain is real that you see on screen. You can't see the rain actually. Well, people are dripping. You see that? Yeah. So are we so, ever going to see? Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Tracy. Oh no, no. I was just going to say where where are you going next with the with the series? Like, do you want to talk a little bit more about what you're hoping for season three and stuff like that? Sure. Well, season three is pretty much going to be the culmination of this particular storyline. So. Um, this this story arc, this adventure arc, was only really supposed to be a three part story. So we're we're coming up to the third part here. So it would be very cool to sort of be able to have you know enough episodes in season three to be able to make that a really nice, solid, broad, deep story. Um, we are hoping definitely to see more kobolds. Uh, we are definitely hoping to see more of Ikosa, who shows up in season two. She's the the villain who pops up there. It's very exciting. Um, I would love to take the team to uh, to some other interesting locations. 
uh, in season three. And uh, and yeah, I, I would love for a lot of those sort of little threads that we've planted over the past two seasons to come together into a really interesting uh, conclusion uh, to this particular story. I mean, there's a lot that we've that we've touched on in the past two seasons that I'd like to pull back on again. And it seems to me that there are hints in season two that season three could see the likes of a dungeon, uh, a dragon, and and possibly, a, if I'm remembering right, a beholder. How are you going to pull that stuff off? <laughs> <laughs> well, we are we are very creative people. Uh, <laughs> beholder will have like people under a tarp with each with an eye stock. Puppet beholder. I don't know. I mean, that's the thing is that, you know, if uh, if if we had a huge budget for season three, you know, you you might be able to see a lot of dragon. If you have a small budget for season three, perhaps perhaps dragon will be done slightly more creatively. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure. Uh, we will. Uh, yeah, we'll just, you know, do the best with what we have. We're very good at doing that at sort of figuring out what we've got and uh, and making it work. We actually we have a really cool plan we're kind of concocting right now, which is that Edwin Perez is actually away in a mining town, and he's been there for like several weeks now, working crazy hours. Um, to basically, this is like the perfect acting job for him, where he will work really hard in like as an IT guy and save up all this money, and then you know for only two months he'll do this, and then the rest of the year he'll be auditioning and working on standard action. So once he gets back from that, Joanna, I, and him are looking at trying to rent a house with like a two car garage attached, and we will build a studio in that garage. And that that would be awesome because then we'd be able to like look at filming like extra stuff or like maybe some continuing adventures that take place after the big story wraps up. Um, Spinoff stuff. Yeah, Anything just like, like if if we can film like twenty feet from where we live, that would really help a lot. <laughs> yeah, and it would make us a lot more flexible too. Actually, so it's one of those plans where it would it would be a very smart move budget wise uh because if we were to find something like that and we could actually build our own interior set uh that could that could save us a lot of money and that would be great i could start storyboarding again i haven't done that in years <laughs> yeah that would be magical <laughs> Right on. Although um, it seems like uh, early in season one, that you may have been filming close to where you live because the the tavern and the um, the apothecary shop looked awfully um, homey. Well, the the tavern was. Uh the tavern, okay. The, the first, so the one in like episode two and episode four. Yeah. That was the that was the wine cellar of a restaurant. Oh, okay. Um. So it was. Uh, we were very lucky in getting that actually, but it was. But that so, person doesn't live in Canada anymore. Yeah, and it was so <laughs> tiny, so so tiny. It was so difficult to shoot in there, and the sound was terrible. Um. The uh, apothecary shop, yes, the apothecary shop was our costume designer's uh, home. Okay. Apartment. Yeah, and and that was holy cow! That was a lot of work to rearrange her home. Yeah. Uh, but yes, that that was great. She was and very understanding. She was, and the uh, the hunter's cabin, uh, oh, yeah. which also doubled as the stables, uh, was Edwin Perez's uh, parents' garage. Yeah, it was. Yeah, um, and they've moved. Yeah, they moved. So we're losing all of the. You've lost all of your sets. <laughs> oh yeah, and the dungeon was was our our art designers' uh, parents' art directors' pool uh, shed, and they're moving too, yeah. or have moved. Yeah. So we've lost them all. We need more. Yeah, so. I guess you'll have to rent that house and, and build your own, huh? Yeah, exactly. Well, we were looking at, like, we were even looking at Home Depot stuff because we were we built a set for this other web series we're working on with a friend called Space Cab. And, yeah, we discovered there's some very inexpensive stuff that you could use to make, like, reversible walls that would be really, really cheap to make. Right on. That's awesome. Always, it's, it's, you, you, get, you have to be a carpenter to be a filmmaker, huh? <laughs> you gotta be everything. <laughs> Tracy, I'll let you take the next one. Get let, let you get a word in. Oh no! Well, I was actually more wondering: Have you guys written up anything about how you produce some of the sets or the props or anything like that? No, you mean like documentation and stuff, or yeah, or like how to or something like that. I was just suddenly interested because I I like working through how you do this stuff, so. That's a pretty cool idea. No, I mean we've never really stopped for long enough to be able to uh, <laughs> to do that. But I'm, I know that Rob, you were thinking about doing tutorials, weren't you, on yeah. um, filmmaking well, and stuff? We had a lot of luck in second season. We have this guy Ishnu, who's an electrical engineer by day. He's our chief engineer. Yeah, um, <laughs> he, uh, that's, that's his his yeah, role. Um, but uh, he he also he wired up the cod piece of splendor. Um, oh. oh, nice. <laughs> 
but we we gave he did a lot of the behind the scenes videos or he did a large portion where he would interview people because uh i bought myself a new camera so we had this old other body that uh, a camera body kicking around so i gave it to him and was like all right go interview people you know while we're on breaks and stuff and so he diligently went and did it and he did a great job so we're gonna expand on that next year for season three and yeah maybe we can get him to come show like you know record what we're doing when we're setting things up and we can actually show people like how we set up a scene and how we go from like all right we got these three pages to film hey that stump looks cool have we filmed there before no all right let's go set our stuff up and take a look (laughs) yeah that would actually be a really neat idea instead of having um more in-depth behind the scenes stuff but with with the Kickstarter, I mean, we're basically we are promising all of our backers access to a lot of behind the scenes footage for season three. So that might be a pretty cool idea, actually, going in depth into how things are done. And it's British Columbia, so we might see a bear. We might. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, awesome. Now, uh, I, and and I have this question a lot as I watch stuff on YouTube, um, you know, especially series on YouTube, and, and it occurs to me, you know, I'm a podcaster, and it's not horribly difficult to take a YouTube series and podcast it. Have you ever thought about going that route and offering it in both formats? Offering the episodes as podcasts. As podcasts as well, yeah. No, never thought of that ever. Uh, I've thought about doing radio dramas. Uh, if you Have you heard of We're Alive? I'm, uh, no, I haven't. That zombie one, right? Yeah. It's like a zombie radio drama, but it's modern and like it's amazing. And I would love to try and do some storytelling that way with, with standard action. I know Edwin and Joanna would be totally down with that. Oh, for sure. Tara yeah. would be in. I wonder how it's so easy to book people. I wonder <laughs> how the uh, how the story and the humor would translate from video to audio. That would be interesting to find out, actually. Well, I, never you, I mean, you, you could video podcast it just as well. Just take the same video and, and release it on a feed. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. That's pretty smart. Uh, I like that idea. I think I might have to uh, explore that. <laughs> Thank if you. you. <laughs> if you need any help, I know some podcasters. All right. <laughs> nice. Um, well, do you have any more questions, Jeff? Because I think I'm I just have mine. A, yeah, go ahead if you got... No, no, I'm done. Okay. Well, I just wanted to know, uh, Rob, your, your name is all over this thing, and yet I don't think we've ever actually seen you. I've watched the credits carefully, and I don't think I've seen your name associated with any characters. Are we ever going to see you on camera? Yes. We I did hope. see you on camera. Oh, we did. We did. Actually. In my office. Yes. Yeah. Um, he was he was an extra. <laughs> I played me. In, in the office scenes when um, oh. I, there's a little scene where Snuffles the Badger runs by underneath a file folder. And that's that's Rob watching him go. Yeah. And you heard Rob's voice uh-huh. as the snarky dude who was driving by in the car at the end of episode... Two yelling at the merchant, I believe, in season two. And didn't we see you? Is, there, is that it? it? Is that it? okay? It. That might be it. So you, you've only had sort of extra backgrounder roles, yeah? Some, some un- uncredited roles going on here. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'll have to put myself in season three somewhere. Um, probably, if, like that's the thing. It's if we can get a tavern going, I'll totally work myself in there. I'll be like a drunk surly regular. <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't know if it was an issue of you know you're busy directing and doing the cameras and all that that you never quite got the chance to jump on the other side yeah usually like we don't we don't know far enough in advance like it would just be a lot of extra work to plan to have me be be there because you know people cancel at the last minute so it's I'm, I'm like a multi-tool i can be camera one i can be camera two i can be camera assistant sound. i can do sound i can do uh slate and you know a bunch of other things so it's uh, I can you know keep the bears and and you know uh, <laughs> and actually uh, that that guy that uh, Rob was just talking about Ishnu our chief engineer he tends to be the dude who steps in when we yeah. need another actor like we we've either <laughs> lost an actor or we can't find the right actor for a role then Ishnu will step in so and, and that's why he's there he was like I want to be an actor but I'll do other stuff for you yeah so he's been so many things uh-huh. I mean he was he was the bridge keeper first off. Uh-huh. And he was the mime in the uh, in the very 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 first episode of season two. So season two episode zero, he was the mime. Uh, he was an extra in several different episodes. I think he's and he was a halfling. Yeah, he's appeared many many times. He had the hammer pants. <laughs> yeah, the he had the he had the pink hammer pants. <laughs> I say so because uh, at first when you started, I was to say, oh, it's just so. Anytime there's somebody with thick makeup on, it must have been him, huh? 
between the well, mo- no, the mimes I, and the gatekeeper. <laughs> <laughs> well, for, yeah, to a certain extent, and then but then there's also uh, our hobgoblins. It's all the same guy. <laughs> yeah, all of our male hobgoblins are the same guy, uh, and so that's uh, there's a foot in one episode, and then there's a, a guard, an arm. Yeah, an arm, and a and a guard in one episode, and then there's of course the hobgoblin champion at the end of season one who does a big fight scene with Etta. That's all the same dude. Yeah, uh, his name's Adam. He's, and he did he's some great. of the music for us too. Yeah, he did. Awesome. Oh, oh. You go ahead. I was going to say, well, where can people find you guys online and learn more? Well, you can definitely see all of our stuff at standardaction.com. So you can get all of the episodes there as well as all the behind the scenes stuff and all of our news. And you can sign up for our newsletter there. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook at Standard Action. And you can find us on Twitter at Standard Action. But the handle is like Standard Action without any of the vowels. I should send you that link. Her first attempt at a Twitter handle was STDS. Yeah, that was a bad idea. <laughs> she's, she's like, it's great. I'm like, honey, read that out to me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, then, yeah, you can uh, you can link to our Kickstarter from our website as well. Hold on. And the Kickstarter ends fairly soon, yes? Yes, it ends in, I believe, something along the lines of 60 hours. So yeah. two days. Yeah. All right. So I don't know if, if people will hear this in time to, to be able to help out with the Kickstarter, but they should definitely uh, go check out Standard Action um, and, and watch the series. Absolutely, yeah. Anything else you guys want to share while you're here? We just launched a, a sneak peek video where Joanna shows a demo of the card game we've been developing for Standard Action, mm-hmm. and that is one of our perk levels. Uh, you can get a pre, like you can get a pre-release of the card game. Uh, we're so very excited. You can about check the card that out game. on our website. It's very exciting. And we also um, we're, we're sort of the the kings and queens of uh, of of multimedia marketing. We're actually releasing a Pathfinder RPG as well uh, very soon, which is very exciting for all of your gamer audience. And you can get a free track from our website if you tweet about us with the pay with a tweet button, which is on our website. Yeah. All sorts of stuff. Sweet. All right. Well, thanks for coming. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for inviting us on. Thank you very much for having us. And we'd like to say thank you to our sponsor, Noble Knight, as well as our guest, Joanna Gaskell and Rob Hunt. And if you want to get a hold of us, you can email us at thetomeshow at gmail.com or call the biz line at 919-BIZ-TOME. That's 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. You can find show notes and other great Tome Show shows over at thetomeshow.com. And that is episode 217, where we watched the real D&D movie, the standard action web series in this episode of... The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome. I'm on the wall.